So it's saying, okay, so this is where you think the brand should be at a very, very high level. Let's, let's take the logical next step forward and say, what does that mean for how you actually show up tactically down to what emojis are you using? What's your tone of voice and social? How is it different than the way you're going to talk in a press release? Um, we, we can get really specific about that. And it's important too, because the guardrails of these types of things can fall apart very quickly if you're not clear in how all of it connects to that broader big picture. What's up and welcome to Sweathead with Mark Pollard. I have Rob Engelsman, Head of Strategy and Relevance at Annex 88, a New York agency connected to Havas with a very, very, very heavy focus on social media. Rob's worked at Droga5 as well as huge, manages a team of seven, soon to be eight strategists. And today we're just going to talk about what it is like to be doing social media, to be running a social media strategy team right now in New York. Rob, welcome. Good to see you. Uh, So what is it like running a social media strategy team right now, Rob? Uh, You know, it's tough. There's a lot going on in the world at large that I think directly impacts the way we think about social, the way we act on social as people. And then that in turn trickles down to how we act and participate in social as brands. And so when you're talking about a team that lives and breathes social all the time, it can be a lot. It can lead you to uh, some pretty dark places of the internet pretty fast. But at the same time, I think it's probably the most exciting place to be telling stories right now. I know you had Lydia Taylor on the podcast a few episodes ago, and you did a little bit of like a fake hot take on where the best place is to be doing strategy right now. I think one of the best types of strategy to be doing for the last decade has been social because it's changing, it's moving so fast, but at the same time, that creates tons of opportunities and it allows you to create things pretty frequently that no one's ever really done before, which I think is hard to be said for a lot of other ways that we express ourselves in advertising today. I always found like a personal conflict having grown up on the internet that I loved the internet and I loved doing social media, but often found it exhausting managing teams, doing social media, or just being part of the social media creation process because, you know, the algorithms change or the interfaces change or a new platform appears like, oh my God, we got to do like work all this out all over again and that kind of stuff. You've been around for quite a while doing this. How do you relate to the concept of exhaustion? specifically as someone in the realm of social media? Yeah. I mean, when I started my career, my first job was as a community manager, and that was a decade ago. And if you think that feels like not that long ago, but it does feel long ago in terms of the internet and the the world of the internet. And back then it was exhausting because you felt like you had to be on top of everything and you had to be available for everything. You had to always be on, you had to always be ready. I think now we're a lot smarter about how we build teams around social, a lot smarter about how we scope social from a project perspective. And then also, I think at least the way that our focus is for our team is social is not just you're trying to do the shiny thing all the time. Social is a place where you tell your story and the tactics available to you in social are meant to enhance that story. So we don't put a lot of pressure on our team to be the first to ever do something on social. It's more about doing it in a way that that allows you to tell your story in a better way. And I know I contradicted myself a little bit because a minute ago I said social is a great place to do first. And that's great for quick PR hits and things like that. But in the long run, socials for building brand equity. It's for building community. And so doing things that help your community feel closer to you don't necessarily have to be the newest, shiniest thing on the block. And so you don't have to be as 24-7 digesting everything that comes at you for the internet to be good at doing social for brands. So when you talk about the scopes being smarter now, obviously they would take into account what you just said, but could you be more specific? How, how have the scopes changed? Yeah. So from a community management perspective, a lot of folks that are brand side, for example, or uh, early community managers, 
we're the community manager and it was an always on job and 24 seven. If there's a crisis with a product, if there's a problem with something responding to customer care, that was all kind of one person. Something that's changed a lot is that customer success, customer care teams at bigger brands have now been trained in social and are able to handle a lot of the sort of always onness of, I have a problem. My order didn't arrive all those types of things. And what's nice about that is those teams are located all over the world. So that allows us as sort of the marketer side of things to not have to worry as much about the tactical of let's fix that person's lost box in Topeka and focus more on let's be active in hours that we think are the most interesting or important to us. So that changes our scope is I have community managers, but we scope specific hours. They'll be active or they'll be checking X times a day. They will be only online during business hours or if we're publishing content off hours. We're very specific about the lines we draw around the activities of people when they're directly interacting in social so that it doesn't creep up on you that you're spending all of your time dealing with these things on the internet. Hmm. It's interesting because there are articles that have popped out recently about customer care, customer service groups in America specifically and about how... I don't know how demolished they've especially been through the pandemic high churn rates. Like it's it's a really tough job. That one. Um, When you talk about being a relevance or head of relevance, being a relevance agency, I get it, but talk to me about what that means. Yeah. And, and you made a little face there and I get it. Like relevance is kind of a buzzy word right now. And so it, it is a little thing where everybody kind of has their own version of it. When we talk about relevance, what we mean is that we approach challenges, we approach briefs from the realm of the consumer. We want to figure out what are the expectations of the person we're talking to? How can we provide them value in some way? And then how are we going to behave to meet them with that value? It just so happens that that behavior today, a lot of the best ways to reach people is to act and behave on social. And so that's what we mean by relevance. It's about finding the value add, whether it's a discount or it's you know a, a piece of knowledge that someone didn't have before. Maybe you're just trying to make someone laugh, whatever it is. How do you deliver that? And, and the way to deliver that today tends to be in the social space. And then relevance is also about thinking beyond the flash in the pan trends. It's less about trending topics daily on Twitter. It's more about long-term cultural trends that matter to the person you're talking to. You know, I think the the sense of everyone's plugged into the same things, you know, is obviously as much as people used to watch the same TV shows or listen to the same music, that's totally changed. And so there isn't like one cultural plinth that we're all trying to attach ourselves to. It's much more about understanding the person that we are trying to talk to the most and the things in culture that they specifically care about. And then finding that connection point between them and the brand that we're working with. It's funny because listening to how you explain that, you could say, well, that's just what strategy or account planning has always done. That's what all advertising strategy has done. However, if you've worked in the social media space, you've definitely been in meetings where somebody who thinks they help create brands and help make brands relevant wants to put a five-minute ad on YouTube. And so there is still this weird gulf between people who are really, really in a space and people who are not really, really in a space. Talk to me a bit about the ways that you and your team interact with other agencies and also potentially with in-house teams? How can it work well? When doesn't it work well? Yeah. I mean, I think on one end, we're lucky that a lot more people understand social than they used to. We're hitting a point where more and more people in positions of power that can determine budgets and say yes to ideas, understand what we're talking about. So that helps and goes a long way. But there is still definitely that element where you have the sort of classic what I call like capital A advertising agencies that say they do social, but their social is a cut down of a beautiful film they made. And it's still a beautiful film, but a 15 second cut down of a film is not to me digital first work. It's just using 
the same tools that have existed in advertising for decades now in a new space and not adapting to that space. So where my team comes in and what we always try and do is push ourselves to twist the brand platform or the story being told in a way that feels native to the internet. What can we do to make this idea feel playable or interactive or gamified? What can we do to make it feel interactive? Those things are really important. One example, we work with Adidas Originals globally and have for the last six years or so. And a few years ago, we launched the shoe called the Derupt. You know, we ended up launching the shoe in augmented reality. So you could scan a QR code and uh, pre-pandemic QR codes are so a little wishy-washy with people, but it worked out pretty well. And then you could interact with the shoe. So the shoe showed up in an empty shoe box. You could play with it on your phone, which was really cool. And the goal was to get people to engage with the product. What we found was that people spent more time playing, interacting with it through social than they would have spent watching a video of someone else wearing the shoe or walking around with it. And so creating more interactivity, being more social or digitally first in the way we told that story brought more engagement and got people more involved. Success to me is finding ways to tell the story that gets people more involved and makes them feel more a part of it. They can be interacting with it in some way. And so when we work with other agencies or we're working with in-house teams, that's what we're trying to push. That's what our briefs are pushing towards. Who's doing this in an interesting way that we can learn from or you know, it's advertising. So what can we crib from that already exists, but then also push it to a place where we're twisting the story just enough that it feels different and it kind of cuts through all of the noise. And, and in that, I think something that I preach to our team and to our partners all the time is a lot of times on social, we're showing up uninvited, even if it's organic because of the way the algorithm works now, you're not expecting a brand post from Keurig to show up next in your Instagram feed. You're not expecting, particularly if it's paid, to see any of this. You're not asking for it. And so if we don't provide value and we don't do it in a way that's interesting or makes me want to engage with it, we're kind of wasting everybody's time. Mm. What do, you, what do you personally get showing up as like the paid ads? Because I went aggressively from performance shorts to psychedelic therapy now. And I'm like, how did that all happen? That was, that was quick. I still hadn't bought me any performance shorts. This is a, a problem of dealing with social is all of the ads I get are related to the brands I work with. Not that I'm getting targeted by those brands, but you know, we recently started working with a brand that does stuff in the baby space. And so now all of my TikToks are babies cute puppies and babies or things like that. Like the algorithm always shifts to whatever I'm pitching or whatever I am trying to figure out a strategy for, which is helpful and also makes it impossible to escape from my job sometimes as well. When you mentioned Adidas and the long-term relationship that you've had without giving me a corporate pitch, a corporate spiel, like why have they kept working with you? What makes you different? And the person I have in mind that I want this answer to make sense to is the person who might be in the capital A agency or advertising agency who's like, yeah, we got a social team. Like what really makes you different? I think social first thinking is, is huge. Approaching the problem and not saying from the very beginning, not in the brief saying the output will be X, but actually asking ourselves, What's the right story to tell? And then how does that story fit social in a tactically interesting way? Brands really like that PR bump when you're able to say, this is the first time we've done this, or no one's really seen it this way before. But I think at the core of it, at the end of the day is we really focus on making the story as palatable as possible. And so while yes, sometimes the story uses the shiny thing, tactics don't fix bad strategy. Tactics using social in a different way doesn't fix that the product is bad or doesn't fix that the brand platform is bad. And so we focus really hard on making sure that the foundations are right so that when you do go out and tell that story, that, that it is successful. Hmm. Hey, Rob, can you give me a shorter, more street answer to the question, please? <laughs> I, I said no corporate spiel. 
you had me at playable and I was like, okay, okay. I could ask about that. And I'm like, no, nah, I want some real talk. Why do, come on. You've been in, in conversations with people. You've probably had a, a beer or a wine or whatever you're into yeah. uh, with people after a meeting. You've probably been in pitches where you've advised a client who's being pitched to by other agencies about like, come on, real talk. We make dope shit. <laughs> we have a cool creative team. We have smart people. We have a great strategy team. Um, and they make cool work. Well, one of the things that's really nice about the history of, of the 88 now, we, we try to find teams of creators to work with us in-house. So it's not a copywriter and art director all the time trying to like figure out how to talk to sneakerheads. We work with sneakerheads. So being native to the cultures that we're trying to tell stories for is important, but then also just being able to come up with cool ideas. We have a track record of making cool stuff. Okay. Native, direct to the source, social first. When you say playable, what do you mean? Something that's more than just me watching. You know, there's passive engagement in social and there's active engagement. So passive engagement is I viewed part of your video. Maybe I gave you a like. What we want to create is active engagement. You're commenting, you're sharing, you're saving. We work with a lot of spirits brands and we're always trying to get people to save or to share cocktail recipes, for example. You know, save this for later because you're gonna you're gonna want to remember these ingredients. And so that's one of the things we track. How often are we getting people to go a level deeper with the content? Sometimes that means taking them off platform and bringing them to a website or some type of other experience that we're building. But whatever we're doing, we're trying to create a more active experience that's less about just me scrolling all day and more of like, I have to stop and engage and play with this in an interesting way. Okay. Could you break down for me the two or three most common types of, I don't know, relationship or types of project types of scope that you have with clients right now? Yeah. The, the most typical is sort of the classic for social, which is we build a social strategy based on an existing brand strategy. We figure out how to convert that strategy into, into a bit of a playbook for social. And then we make content for organic and for paid across the platforms and the channels that we think are best for that brand. So that's more of like an organic ongoing content creation, calendar development, community management type relationship. That relationship is the most standard historically, but it isn't happening as much now partially because the frequency needed for social is not as high as it used to be. When the algorithm was chronologically based, you needed to show up more often because you had to remind people that you existed. Now that it's algorithmically based, you don't need to show up as often because if it's good content, people engage and it'll get in front of the right people. So whereas some brands used to post three times a day because they're trying to target different parts of the world with their content, now you can really decrease that frequency. And that's one of the things we measure a lot is how often we're we posting versus how our engagement changes over time. So that's one type of work. Another piece would be more sort of forward thinking. We develop relevance reports. There's that word again. And these are kind of forward thinking quarterly or monthly reports for our clients that say, hey, here's an interesting thing that's happening in culture that you could do a good job of being a part of through social. And so we'll use social listening, we'll use survey tools and other types of research tools and kind of say, okay, this is really interesting. This is growing. It's not a one-day trend. It's something that's happening more and more. And so there's an interesting opportunity to tell a story there. And so we proactively bring those to clients and say, this is coming in two months. We should do something with it. And we build a plan in place to kind of come up with some creative ideas and hopefully execute some of those as like almost like micro mini social campaigns that still live within the broader brand platform, but allow us to tell the story a slightly different way. Those are kind of the two main ways we'll interact. But outside of that, 
the walls of social have kind of closed in. Um, we'll enter some projects as the social agency and end up building a brand strategy because they want to be on social the most. And so they take our strategy and run with it for the brand. We'll be in other situations where the social strategy might already exist, but they can't figure out what's wrong with it. So my team will go in and, and audit the work, look at the competitors, figure out what's working, what's not, and come up with some ways forward. And then there are some projects where we're just strictly coming up with a point of view on a platform or a, a tactic for somebody. So someone may come in and say, hey, we want to launch TikTok. We're going to do it all in-house, but we want to figure out what the right strategy is for us. And so we'll come in, learn as much as we can, and use our expertise and our knowledge to, to give them a clear way forward that then they can activate on their own. Mm. When you're doing brand strategy, is that an explicit request? Do you use that language or do you do what a lot of us used to do and kind of use other language to not mess with the turf that someone definitely owns? Yeah, we it can be a little bit of both. Um, there have been some situations where our social strategy has been positioned to clients or kind of spread across a company in a way that confused people and made them think it was a brand strategy, which I think is a sign of how good the strategy is if it's something that people are immediately thinking is the platform. There are other times where we're explicitly, we are the brand agency or we're the lead agency and the, the, the interagency team and so we're doing brand strategy and then also executing that brand strategy in social, but maybe there's another agency that's taking that brand strategy and doing PR or retail or you know sampling or those kinds of things. Yeah, I mean, it's, I don't know if you see this a lot, but we used to see this, or I used to see this at the very least, where with a large international multinational brand, perhaps they've got a brand strategy from a massive brand design agency that's not very useful if you're in the social digital space. And on top of that, there might be a tagline from an advertising agency, which happens to have a deck with the word brand strategy labeled on it, but it doesn't really have like a brand strategy there. And because in the digital space, you have to create so much stuff that people touch all the time, you need to know what you're doing. You need to know what the brand strategy is. So often there can be these three, at least three different documents floating around that are kind of cousins, but you have to pretend that one's one's one and one's another and all this kind of stuff. Do you see much of that these days? Yeah. Yeah, we we end up getting our hands on a lot of, you know, long decks that are of a brand position or a brand vision. And and the challenge with social is that those decks can be, you know, 30,000 feet. Like those are so high up on the thinking chain. There's no room for the tactical analysis needed to be able to turn that into actual content or storytelling or social anything. And so that's that's something that that we've we've become quite good at is interpreting but then also it's about extending that. So it's saying, okay, so this is where you think the brand should be at a very, very high level. Let's let's take the logical next step forward and say, what does that mean for how you actually show up tactically down to what emojis are you using? What's your tone of voice in social? How is it different than the way you're going to talk in a press release? Um, we, we can get really specific about that. And it's important too, because the guardrails of these types of things can fall apart very quickly if you're not clear in how all of it connects to that broader big picture. So we see a lot of those. They can be challenging sometimes. Selfishly as a social agency, sometimes you see strategy and, and the first reaction is, I'm not sure there's a role for social in what you're trying to accomplish as a brand right now. But you know, it's it's an interesting conversation to have is to unpack what are the actual goals and expectations on a channel by channel basis and understanding the role of social and how it fits in these broader visions. What can you think of a real or hypothetical situation in which a brand doesn't need social? A lot of B2B. We've been approached by some brands in the past are convinced that they have to be huge on social to be successful. And we'll look at their audience and they're just not on social. 
We use a lot of tools like Global Web Index or Helixa and other kind of consumer profiling tools to build out the demographic of the person we're trying to talk to and, and understand what they're doing. And sometimes it says they're not really spending a lot of time on social. That, that's kind of a challenge. More frequently, we'll get a brief that says, we want to be on Instagram or we want to be on Facebook or we want to be on TikTok, but the person you're trying to talk to isn't there. And so the brand is chasing that shiny thing, but they're not going to find their audience in that space. And so we've had to walk some clients back on that before or really dig into understand why do you want to be in this space? Is it just for the PR of it? Is it is it you're trying to quote unquote go viral because the people you're trying to talk to aren't actually there? Right, right. What are the big questions that clients are bringing to you right now? I mean, I just mentioned TikTok. TikTok is the biggest question mark for a lot of people, for sure. Um, we're definitely hitting this stage, which I think is really exciting, which is sort of like social media 3.0. There's a, an investor, Tasha Kim, who talks a lot about social. And she had this great piece last year, about a year ago, basically defining social 3.0 as this moment where social has become a thing that influences culture in real life, where historically social was something that was influenced by culture. So, you know, old school Instagram in the early days or Facebook, these are all places or even Twitter where what was happening in the real world was influencing what was happening on the platform. Now we're seeing the reverse of that for the better and for worse. If you think about Twitter as like a misinformation wormhole and how that's influenced real culture to such a big extent, or you think about how someone can wear a product on TikTok and sells out online and in stores because people love the product so much. We're at the stage where social is really influencing culture. And so there's a power that comes with that. And a lot of brands are trying to figure out the right spaces to show up to wield some of that power. I think it is an exciting time though, because there is this sort of, there's less of a wall between content and commerce. There was for a while this awkwardness. You thought about the traditional funnel, right? Like we need to use content to get awareness and consideration. And then we'll, you know, we'll get more specific with the commerce toward the end when we want people to purchase. But now one TikTok can do all of that for you if you do it the right way. One story on social can do all of that. So there's been this kind of collapse of the traditional funnel in social in a lot of ways. And so we're getting a lot of questions about how to package all that in one place. And how do you successfully do that without trying to do too much with what is ostensibly a short or small form piece of content. If you spend your days trying to get into people's heads, but are interested in strategy classes, books, and events that get into your head, visit sweathead.com. You can pick up the Kickstarter funded book, Strategy Is Your Words, by me. Find out about our monthly membership, online classes, and the company training that we do. Yes, this was an ad, a gentle, gentle ad. Back to the interview. Yeah, it's, it's funny when I hear what you when you were sort of referencing tasha kim there's something in that that feels not new right mm -hmm. but until you experience it in public and i know you're probably the only person i could nerd out about this in new york probably the world is like you go to an nycfc game the football club the football club in new york there's another one which has new york in the name they're in new jersey and i, I was at one um i think earlier this year and i was like oh my god i actually feel that i'm sitting in the nycfc subreddit because of the things that people were saying to each other, the, the way they were referencing each other, the sayings they were using, that is like way more recent behavior than 10 years ago where, yeah, maybe something pops up on YouTube and people mimic it. But now the internet's right there with people and they are kind of the internet in person, if that makes any sense. So it's definitely different. Although some of these concepts feel old. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And I think they feel old if you think about them as a person. I think where they feel newer is if you think about them as a brand and the role that brands can play in that. Because for, for so long, early social was really the wild west for brands. Brands could kind of get away with anything and do weird stuff. One of my first jobs was community manager on Captain Crunch. 
And we did tons of weird stuff because nobody was paying attention to it. We could tweet at 420 to make a marijuana joke and people would pick up on it, but maybe the clients didn't understand it or something. And it was just people didn't understand social. They understand what it was meant for. But now social is so ingrained in how people are acting, but also how brands react to things that I think the brand side of it is what's much newer. Okay. So other than TikTok, where I think in a way, TikTok's actually a proxy for the two dynamics that you mentioned, which is the immediacy of something happening on TikTok affecting the broader culture, but then also the content and commerce piece where someone could post something that they're wearing and then people buy it immediately, right? So other than TikTok and those two dynamics that are going on, what else are clients talking to you about with the sense of urgency? Uh, a lot of questions about... I mean, obviously the, the metaverse and web three and those types of things, which I think is interesting in the sense that none of those things are really truly defined. They're super nebulous. A lot of brands are, are saying they're in it. A lot of folks are, you know, saying that they're, they're building these tools, but you know, it's early days with those types of things. And, and one of the things that we like to preach with our clients is making sure that there's a reason for showing up in these spaces. Some brands, it may sen- may make sense to do something like an NFT for a lot of brands. It doesn't. And it is very easy, I think, as marketers to get stuck in this cycle of we only look at what other marketers are talking about or posting about or other brands. You know, there's there are those typical brands that are kind of marketers' dreams that always do the marketing thing and, and win the awards. And so we pay a lot of attention to them. Um, but are we actually also talking to the true consumer of these products or are we just talking to ourselves and to PR folks and trying to end up in adage, you know, these conversations are happening, but it's one of those things where for a lot of brands, I just don't think it makes sense to, to run headfirst into a lot of these spaces right now. And instead let's shore up the activity that we are doing in platforms. We know the people we're trying to reach already are. Right. right, right. It's interesting. Uh, Seoul in South Korea, the government has announced it's going to be the first government in the metaverse. And I was getting total flashbacks to companies and even agencies like Leo Burnett announcing they were going to buy islands in Second Life. Well, we're talking 15 years ago. But uh, the thing is, like in South Korea, when the government says it's going to do something, it really does something. So it's going to be interesting to see what, what they do over there. Um, playbooks. Do you like them? Do you not like them? I think they're necessary, but they're necessary in the sense that once you have one, you need to be willing to break it. And so what I mean by that is when you're initially developing sort of what is our vision for social for a brand, it helps to build the guardrails of what does social mean to us? What are the channels we care about? What are the frequencies we think are going to be most effective? A playbook is essentially a best practices guide that then as you approach new situations, new trends, new opportunities, you look at the best practices and you have to say, okay, so these still fit, but maybe we need to do this differently. When you're thinking about making a lot of content, so we still have some clients that that do make a ton of content because they're rotating paid content a lot on social, or they have a lot of different platforms that they're posting to organically. So they need a lot of different content to go out into the world. Having some sort of framework for why you're doing all those things creates a lot of efficiency in the long run. But it only works if you're also clear about measuring how often things are working and not working and evolving the playbook over time. That's the challenge is being, being willing to say, we're going to spend a lot of time building this playbook, but we also want to do this pretty frequently to revisit this, to make sure that it's still active versus we built a playbook. We're going to put it on the shelf. This is the Bible now for the next three years. You can't do that in social. It'll be irrelevant in six months. And so it's a willingness to see the playbook as an ongoing evolving document versus a end all be all. And, and I think that's a challenge because if you think about classic kind of client reactions to those type of things, it's, well, we just did that. Why do we have to do it again? 
And then there's the also the level of usually when you're thinking about a playbook type document, you're talking about a lot of approvals. You're talking about a lot of layers of people that have to see it. Depending on your clients, you know, if you're working in spirits or finance or something like that, there's also a lot of legal implications of what you're trying to do. And so there's so many people that have to have their hands on it. And every time you try something different, those same hands have to get involved. And so it can create a lot of swirl to continually edit and shift and change, but it's really important to see the playbook as something you learn from and change over time. Just like you would if it were a playbook for sports, you know, that play didn't work. Let's switch the play, but also making sure that you're giving yourself enough time to know if the play works, because I've had situations where we've made one piece of content and the client said, I don't think that's going to work. We got to try something new. And, and consistency is important. You have to be willing to continue to try things. You have to be willing to let the playbook work before you decide if it works or not. And that's really important too. Definitely. Definitely. Uh, that's also something that some of the rappers who build videos and tracks close to the meme world that they'll talk about. They just sort of have to keep hitting the topics and eventually one might pop, but it could be the hundredth or 200th. I'm forgetting the person that I was listening to who was talking about that. Meme rappers, I don't even know if that's a thing, but whatever. Um, creative brief templates. Do you have a creative brief template or do you have several templates? How do they work? Yeah, we have a one slide kind of summary. I, I call it a task brief. It's in every single one of our briefs. It's like the last slide, The if you had to print out one slide and it had as much information as you needed as possible, that's the slide. Depending on how much time we have, and we, we haven't talked about this a lot, but you've talked about it on prior podcasts, how little time strategists have to do strategy these days. Sometimes if it's a pretty straight up or down, the task brief and a couple of background slides is what you'll get for a brief. Other times, if we're trying to dig deeper, we're trying to go further, we'll blow out the different aspects of that task brief into a deeper brief for everybody. The types of things that are in there, you know, general brand background, what's the challenge? What are the literal deliverables that are expected from this brief? We try and include as much information as we can about the audience. There's something I've been trying to do, and I, I've even messed up on this, this podcast with is I'm trying to use words like target audience less because it feels malicious. Like the idea that like we're targeting a person or a group of people with this information. So, so it's more about like, who's our core consumer? Who's our focus audience? That's the kind of language we're trying to use more. And it's about establishing for our creative teams, what does that person care about? And where do we fit in that equation? trying to give them a jumping off point in terms of the types of behaviors we could undertake in social to answer some of those expectations that the consumer has. So that's what we try and lay out in the yeah. brief. And then we'll look at the category. We'll look at who else is doing stuff and try and find some inspiration there as well. All right. Uh, let's talk about Keurig. I know you're close to them. And uh, Keurig, for those who don't know, instant coffee or coffee brand? What, what are they? Single serve coffee maker, but they also make drip coffee now as well. All right. Now, the world of coffee, I don't think you're going to be giving anything away. I'm not going to ask you like a sharp, sharp question to get you to give anything away. But could you mention two or three things that might appear on a brief for a brand like Keurig in the coffee space, and especially one that might be kind of new to social, that's trying to get into social? Yeah. So coffee is interesting in the sense that everyone's always talking about it. And so the biggest challenge we have with brands that are in spaces that are so popular is finding a time or a reason to talk that is different than everybody else. You know, everyone does National Coffee Day, Starbucks does it, Dunkin' does it, everybody does the pumpkin spice thing and all that kind of stuff. So how can we find moments that stand out? And so thinking proactively, those relevance reports I was talking about before, what we're always looking for are the unexpected connections between coffee and culture. And that's the type of thing that we like to brief on. So uh, an example of that would be daylight saving time. When we lose an hour in the spring, we did some social listening. We found that that week after 
is some of the biggest complaints about needing coffee on social. The, the conversation around coffee spikes a ton in those few days because the, the time change impacts your body for longer than just one night. And nobody was really talking about that. And so what we did is we turned that into a brief that became almost like a fake PSA campaign warning people that daylight saving time was coming, stock up on your pods, a little bit of a, a, a social campaign that still lives within the broader world of Keurig's brand platform, but allowed us to express it in a moment that felt culturally relevant. Those types of things. What is the turn that's going to make this feel specific to the relationship between our brand and people? Those are the things that I think are the hardest because it's really easy to talk about pretty much anything in culture. Brands have kind of been given carte blanche you know, uh, on Twitter and TikTok to kind of just be as weird as they want and show up. But at the end of the day, you have to find that core little connection point. And that's, that's what we try to focus on. Okay. I'm kind of curious about the connection between strategy and ideas with the people that you're working with, not necessarily with the people we can generalize, just in general, in the social media strategy space, where two things that I've noticed over the years is often the social media strategist can deal more in principles and the fact that they're young and they were a community manager as a way to sort of justify the thing that they want people to do. What that sounds like is the old blog posts, which are often like top 10 ways to write a useful blog post, be relevant, be meaningful, be useful, right? So I've seen a lot of that in the space, which to me is principles, not strategy, strategy. But then also the people who've grown up online who are, I guess, more responsible, more in charge of the ideas aren't always idea literate. They aren't always capable of saying, here's the idea, here's what it's called. Here's how I would explain it in a sentence or two. And even maybe more importantly, here's how it connects to the strategy especially with the last couple of dynamics there, because you mentioned that you sometimes go direct to the source, you're working with creators, you hire people in the spaces. How does the company get them kind of connected to the fact that you are selling ideas and what an idea is, as opposed to now you're cool, you get the community, you get the space, you do cool stuff, we'll do cool stuff. How do you bring a little bit more discipline and, and rigor to what everybody's doing there? I think that's the question. Yeah. I mean, a lot of it comes back to building that strategy foundation we mentioned before. And then from there, it's making it clear what a successful idea will look like. I love to include in my briefs what I call bad strategy thought starters, which is, okay, so I've given you this brief creative team. This is what we, we need. Now, here's a few slides of what I think if I had to answer this brief, a couple ideas would start to look like. And in formatting that in a way that says, okay, so we know the deliverables. Let's also start to talk about how do you start to put bones or I guess how you start to put flesh on the skeleton. I don't know, but uh, whatever metaphor you want to use, but doing that, giving people a template to learn from and to see from is really important when, when you're trying to get ideas out of people that maybe aren't used to putting things on paper in an idea format. And it's also helpful because it starts to guide you in certain directions because it gives the team a sense of, okay, I get a sense of the scale of what's expected here. One of the challenges with social always is, you know, a social brief could come back with a response that's like a tweet, or it could be a massive, massive thing. You're launching a new platform or you're building something different. So the scale of social is so vast that it's really important to give people a good sense on the creative side of what is the scale of what's possible. If we return with an answer that is within this realm, is that the right realm to be in? And that's super important as well. So it's about creating a little bit of a guardrail and a directional push without kind of filling in the blanks for them. Yeah. So it sounds like you use thought starters as a kind of teaching mechanic, which I find interesting because I, I think over the years I've 
moved away from liking the thought starter on a creative brief because it, it felt good to me as the person writing the brief, but then a lot of the really self-respecting, uh, I was going to say arrogant, but like very confident creatives, they're never going to use your thought starter. They don't really want it in the first place. And they probably don't really want you brief that much. And so I stopped you know, thinking of them as something that's useful, except in a situation where you're trying to uh, like the strategist might play a slightly broader role actually in a team that might be not that capital A advertising agency. They might not have the same shared understanding of concepts. So that's an interesting thing. What, what are you finding the most difficult part about hiring strategists right now, specifically into doing the kind of work that you do? One of the major challenges is that everyone thinks they can do social, even if they haven't necessarily explicitly done work in the social space because of the fact that so many campaigns have social components, just like creatives, as we talked about before, think they can make social, strategists think they can strategize social. And that's not necessarily the case. That's definitely a challenge. The other thing is I really want to find people that are able to say, I don't agree. I want people to be able to say, I think it's actually headed this way. Social is changing so fast that what's important is people that have opinions on this stuff. What I don't want is someone that just sees the latest news and says, okay, so Instagram's going to do this or, or TikTok's going to change this. What I want is, is what does that mean for us? And so being able to develop those opinions and have a point of view, and I don't care if that's the same point of view as mine. In fact, I prefer if it's not so that, that we can have a discussion about what this really means for what we're trying to achieve. It's being curious about how social is changing, but pushing that curiosity to, to build a clear point of view on, on the world that is socially based. What are you personally most interested about as far as the most recent changes in existing social media platforms that a lot of us use? I think the willingness from brands to start going deeper and more narrow with who they're talking to or what they're trying to build on social is really interesting. You know, For a while, it was just spray and pray on social. And it was, we're going to throw a bunch of stuff everywhere and really look for that quick spike. But there are brands more and more often that are focused on building true community around the brand and the story they're telling. And I think that's really important. There's a, a book I read a couple of years ago about the acceleration of cultural change. It's like a very academic book. It's by some professors, but they basically made the point that like culture used to be very deep and narrow because your culture was you literally educating the future on how to survive in the wilderness, you know, and, and those types of things. And then we got to this point where now culture is super shallow and wide. And I'm supposed to know everything about every trending topic and have an opinion about all of those and like tweet about all of it and all this kind of stuff. And it's, we've lost some of the depth. I think what's interesting is a lot of brands are building spaces where that depth can come back. You know, you're seeing Wendy's, for example, be really active in a place like Discord or Twitch, where they basically they opened a space for their community to have conversations. And it didn't have to be about the product. They just wanted to host the space and let people engage and build community around it. And I think that type of thing is really exciting because it means that brands are accepting that maybe they're not the lead storyteller, but what brands can do is enable a space where people can have deeper conversations or have that community building experience. Okay. Last question. Give me real talk. Okay. Let's, let's jump through the corporate response, but you're not corporate, by the way, I'm just saying this up front to what, like to annoy you so that you give me real, real, real talk. So, you know, there's all these surveys coming out about how a lot of young people want to be YouTubers, something like 75% want to be creators and YouTubers, et cetera. Right. And then a lot of others want to start their own companies at some point. Why should anybody want to work as a strategist in social media in an agency right now? I mean, I think it's the chance to give you the backbone to do the types of stuff you want to do, but you're, you're supported by others. 
me personally, I've, I've never really done the freelance life. I don't think I could. I'm just not built for that. I, I like collaborating. I like having others to bounce things off of. And that's what an agency gets you. You know, like-minded people or not like-minded people that you can build with, learn from, and, and collectively make cool and interesting things with versus trying to go it alone. And I know that there are the hype houses and the things like that. It's interesting how people are kind of collective communities of creators has become the new thing. Every brand has their creative collective and their creative directors and things like that. But I think there is still a place for agencies that are at the forefront, uh, or at least trying to be at the forefront of what's happening culturally and understanding the right or the true or the, the correct ways to bring that connection point to brands. And I think if you find the right ideas and you find the right people to work on those ideas with, it can be really exciting. Hmm. Very cool. Awesome. Rob, awesome to finally catch up with you about this topic. I know we jumped around in the topic quite a lot, but hey, that was kind of fun. If people want to find you on the internet, where's the best place for them to find you? Um, I'm pretty easy to find. I have the same username across everything. It's just RC Engelsman um, on all the platforms. And then uh, you can check out, I write about once every year on my Substack called The Other 90, where I talk about things like some of the stuff we've talked about today, but just not as well as we've talked about it today. Wonderful. Awesome. Uh, best wishes. I know you're hiring. So if people want to find out about that, I, I don't usually set up like a little salesy thing at the end here, but I'll do it for you. I know you're hiring. So sniff around Rob, if you're looking for a role uh, that has some connection to New York, uh, doing pretty cool stuff. Uh, Rob, thank you so much for joining me on Swear today. Yeah, absolutely. Good to be here. Peace. Thank you for listening to this episode of Sweathead. If it's your first time here, please subscribe. If you enjoyed the episode, please share it with a friend or leave a kind rating. For more information about our strategy classes, events, and books, visit www.sweathead.com. And yes, you can find us on Instagram at, at Sweathead. Sweathead.